You're listening to the Whitewater Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Let's dive into this week's message together. The question we've been asking is how do we become brighter, not bitter, especially in the circumstances that many of us find ourselves in this world where we can be going through disappointment, hardship, you know, relational tension, and sometimes we can get so disheartened. How do we get brighter instead of getting bitter? We're jumping back into our second week studying the book of Philippians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who's a missionary to non-Jewish people known as Gentiles. And uh, he had churches that were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And this one church in Philippi, he loved. They were just incredible partners in the gospel, and he saw so many lives transformed. He wrote this letter to this church that were basically this Roman outpost in northern Greece, and they were a group that were going through hard times. And this letter is really written to help that church be brighter and not bitter. So starting here in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I'm present, but now even more while I'm away, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the word of life. This will allow me to say on the day of Christ that I haven't run for nothing or worked for nothing, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the altar of service for your faith, I'm glad. I'm glad with all of you. You should be glad about this the same way I am. Be glad with me. As we go through this passage, I want us to note like his desire, especially at the end there. He's like, I ran this race. I don't want to run it in vain. I don't want to work in vain. I want the, I want you to succeed. As a spiritual father, Paul really wants to give, I think, some gospel wisdom and advice. And he actually even leans into some old biblical stories to remind the Philippian church of the growth and maturity that God wants for them. So let's go through this. So starting in verse 12, Again, Paul says, therefore, my loved ones, he loves them, just as you always obey me and always listen to me as a spiritual father, not just when I'm present, but now even more while I'm away, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling or with like a sense of awe. Carry out your salvation with a sense of awe. Now, I want to highlight Paul's statement where he says, you know, you always obey me or you always listen to me, not just when I'm present, but now even more while I'm away. If you remember from last week, we talked about the reality that Paul was in chains. He was in prison. That was the reason he couldn't visit the Philippian church. And the Philippian church was supporting him while he was in prison. He was in prison for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this prevented him from being with the people he loved. That was really hard. I don't know if you've ever gone through a time, a, a extended period of time where you couldn't be with, you know, maybe the one or the the people that you just loved and wanted to be with. It's, this is a hard thing. But Paul reminds them to not just listen to him and, you know, obey what he says and practice his wisdom only when he's there in their midst, but even more so while he's 
not present while he's gone. He's really saying this is an opportunity for you to grow, not to just grumble. You know, as my kids grow, they're going to outgrow some of the kid things that they do. In fact, I'm already seeing some of that in my daughter. And as they grow, they're going to like have more and more time out in the world making decisions where I'm not there, building relationships where maybe I'm not there, having experiences with life, the ups and downs of life where maybe I'm not present with them because they're maturing, they're growing as human beings. That's a part of how God designed humans to grow and flourish. But the cool thing is, like, as my presence in many ways starts to, to change and become less in their lives, the desire and, and want to be together is still there. And you can sense that with Paul. He wants to be with him. He loves him. But he's, he's trying to say, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. Paul goes on to say, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables both you to want and to actually live out his good purposes, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So Paul brings this concept of salvation. He says, hey, work out your salvation, you know, with fear and trembling or a sense of reverence and awe. And there's a question that I think a lot of Christians will have around this is, is it God or me in my journey of growth? Like, who's the one that's causing the growth? Is it my decisions or is it God's power? Like, which is it? I think in the Bible, we see it's actually both. The Bible always has these paradoxes and these tensions. But when Paul's writing about salvation, I think it's important to remember like his story of salvation. Like There's this moment in his life, if you know the story of, of Saul, who became Paul, he was persecuting the church. He was like trying to seek people in the church, throw them in prison, kill them. And then he's blinded, thrown on the road. And God's grace was more like a punch to the face for him. And, you know, I just imagine him at that one point point in his life where he's blinded and the God he's been claiming to serve and being zealous and being very religious and doing all the right things, that God that he's been claiming to serve, he's, a, he's actually in this moment realized that he's been fighting and struggling against God. And so like his whole reality, his whole faith is reoriented in this moment. And it's like a, like he's, he's changed. He responds uh, he's led to a man named Ananias. He gets mentorship, and then he begins his journey of transformation. But Paul's salvation was both like this moment, but also with this movement throughout his life. Like God started this work, this new creation, this new heart in him, but it had to be worked out. And that new creation was still being worked out. Like none of you and I aren't perfect. Like maybe you've decided to follow Jesus and you've given your life to him. There's been like a change in your heart, you know? Some people might say it like that. But just because there's a change in your heart, like we know that we're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. There's this working out of my salvation. Like there's this, the new creation of God, like welling up in me is still happening. There's areas of my life that aren't as beautiful as I wish they were. Sometimes they're ugly. And I'm like, I, I want to continue changing that. Well, Paul's encouraging his friends in Philippi to work out their salvation, to grow in their salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation, earn your salvation. We can't earn that. This is God's free gift of grace. Many people who've grown up in a church have kind of viewed maybe grace or learned grace as justification or forgiveness, that grace is the forgiveness of God. While grace is that, I think grace is actually so much more. It's that plus. And sometimes people have grown up in environments where grace can seem like it's the opposite of, of doing or working or, or any kind of effort. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. 
It's opposed to earning. And earning is an attitude. So grace actually is something that actually should really motivate us to work and to love and to live. It's for life. It's not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And earning is just any attitude that's like, well, if I do this, you know, God's going to owe me. Any way you try to make God owe you the life you want, the things you want, uh, the gifts you want, that's, you know, that's obviously not a, a healthy way to look at grace. And that, that is a, a bad attitude toward the things of God. But grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. If you were to read through the New Testament and just ask yourself, like, how does the New Testament define grace? You see this amazing picture. And again, Dallas Willard helps us out. And he says this, grace is God acting in our lives to do the things we can't do on our own. So grace is God's power, his action, his gifts at work in our life to accomplish what we can accomplish on our own. And that's like such a wonderful thing because it takes off some of the pressure. We know you and I are just limited human beings. And so God's grace is whatever fills those gaps. And so, yes, it's forgiveness, like when we need forgiveness. And, you know, because we can't forgive ourselves the way God can forgive us. We need that grace. But it's it's also God's vision when we don't have vision. It's God's power when we don't have power. It's God's ability when we don't have ability. It's God's sight when we're blind it's God filling in those gaps in our life with his goodness, his power, his gifts. And I just think that just blows the top off of like a small little version of grace. And here's why I think it's really important. So often in religion, we can start to think of ourselves almost like faith police or grace police. We feel like it can almost be our job to make sure people believe the right thing before we, they can say it's good or we can kind of give our stamp of approval. We um, might make sure no one's doing anything for God for the wrong reason. And so we're like hunting everybody's motivations, making sure if you're doing something good or you're doing anything at all, we need to make sure that you have the right motivation. And uh, it can, <laughs> I don't know, it becomes kind of this religious bean counting. And the interesting thing is that we don't see Jesus doing that very much. If anybody could be kind of the religious bean counter or the grace police, it would have been him. But he was more concerned with people who had the attitude of like, you know, diving out the grace and making sure and being the grace police. He was more worried about the Pharisees and those who were like super religious, you know, really concerned about other people when he's like, just love God and love people. You know, like the command wasn't believe the right things about God and make sure other people believe the right things about God. <laughs> it's simply love God and love people. And so it's about how we relate to God with our life, not just with our words. And certainly not, you know, our faith isn't like uh, made by building it off of uh, condemning other people. So when we're talking about salvation, this thing where God saves us, we can't do it. And then God is, the salvation is being worked out, like our transformation is being worked out by God's grace, and we're doing this together in partnership with God. Sometimes grace, in the sense we were talking about, that's not so healthy, it turns into kind of this passivity. You know, like if you're doing anything for God, then uh, then you're, you're trying to earn your salvation, you're working for your salvation. And you, you guys, I, I just want to encourage you, don't take that route. That's such an easy and, I think, low understanding of faith. If we're working hard for the kingdom, if we're loving people the way God's asked us to love, like we're doing that by his grace, through his grace, in his grace. 
You imagine someone coming up to Jesus and saying to Jesus, you know, you have to stop doing all this ministry. You gotta stop healing people. You gotta stop preaching. You gotta stop, you know, casting demons out. You can't do it. We need to make sure that you you have the right motivation and that, you know, you're not trying to earn your salvation. You know, I think Jesus would look at them like they were a crazy person. Like, are you kidding me? Like everything Jesus did was from grace. Grace is like jet fuel. Grace isn't just the thing that covers and heals. It's also the thing that motivates and moves us. So let's not get caught up on becoming passive or like, I just need to like dwell on how amazing the grace of God is and never do anything about that. Akin Dallas Wellard says so many people are paralyzed by grace. They don't move at all. And then they're waiting for other people to move and do something. And then they're upset if somebody else does something because oh, you might not be doing it for the right reasons. So just relax, take a breath. Don't be paralyzed by grace. Be moved by grace. Like the most amazing saints who have ever lived. You look, you know, whether you look at the life of Jesus, Paul, you look at humans who have done amazing things with their life for Jesus, they understood grace as God's power in them. And if we can get that, like everything changes. The passivity that so many of us are experiencing right now where people are like, I don't, you know, I want friendship, but I'm not reaching out to people. I want someone to call me, but I'm not calling anybody right now. I want to connect with people, but I'm not connecting with anybody right now. And like there's this passivity sometimes that sets in. And Paul encourages if we're working out our salvation, if we're trusting Jesus, like we are moving with our lives with and for grace. Amen. You know, our faith isn't about like getting this get out of hell free card. It's not escaping, you know, this earth and going to heaven finally. It really is about bringing God's kingdom life here and now. So when we love God, when we receive his grace and we live in his grace, it changes the world around us and it changes us. When you discover grace, you discover gratitude. When you discover grace and you discover gratitude, you don't grumble. You're not grumbling anymore because you're grateful. And when you're grateful, you're growing. So how do we train our eyes to see what God is doing in the world and join him? I think that's what Paul is really getting at here. Work out your salvation. Learn to see God's grace. Be grateful for it and grow in God's grace. You know, I think this is why Paul says don't grumble or complain. You know, if you're grumbling and complaining, you know, you're missing grace in that moment. And I don't get me wrong. I can be, you know, one of the best grumblers, you know, God, why did you allow this? Or did you see this person, God? And, you know, like that, it can happen to any of us, right? Uh, but that grumbling, it, it, it usually is a sign that we don't have our eyes on God's grace because we're not grateful and we're not growing. You know, imagine grumbling and complaining to Paul. Imagine if you were like one of the church members of Philippi and, you know, there, there's there's some, you know, frustration and bickering going on there with some of the church and uh, and disappointment. You know, imagine complaining to Paul, who's in chains, in prison, for the gospel. You know, if he can focus on God's grace with a grateful heart and have this growth mentality, then you and I probably can too. Paul knows he's not always going to be around, so he's saying, I want you to grow up, mature, take responsibility for your walk with God. Who is responsible for your spiritual growth? I mean, other people can contribute, other people can feel responsible for you, but ultimately, who is responsible for your spiritual growth? You are. When we understand that, it is an empowering moment in our life when we realize that 
our decisions, our relationship with the Lord changes our future. At the same time, we are like, you know, Jesus teaches us to love others, love our neighbor, and to take responsibility for our community. So there is a tension between personal responsibility and community responsibility. And it's both, but we got to hold both tensions. Like it's both. And when a community, a church gets that like, hey, we're responsible together, but I'm also responsible for myself. And we hold that. That's when real growth happens. And it doesn't matter like how much adversity or what we're going through. Like all of a sudden people will grow in the middle of really challenging times. It's the soil of their transformation. So verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And remember that Paul is in chains when he's saying this, not grumbling. Remember that he is, he is not fighting the uh, Roman government at that time who put him there. He is preaching the gospel. He is doing ministry and he is doing things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' way. And it goes on to say in verse 15, he says, don't grumble, don't complain so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world. It's interesting. He starts off in verse 14 with the Exodus journey reminder, and then he moves from the Exodus journey to the exile journey. So if you're not familiar, the Exodus journey was the moment that the people of Israel, children of Israel, were in the desert with God, and God was freeing them from slavery. He was freeing them from from Egypt, and they were, they were learning to trust God rather than just test God. You know, and Israel, unfortunately, got in the habit of grumbling and fighting with each other. That's how we know he's referencing that. He's, he's kind of looking at the Philippians saying, hey, you know, don't grumble like they did in the desert with God. Like, learn from them. Learn, learn to do the opposite. And don't question God. And don't, you know, like they questioned God and Moses all the time in the desert. He's like, that, that didn't go well. You know, and as a as a spiritual parent, you know, he's wanting them to have joy and he's wanting them to get along and not bicker. There's nothing more disheartening than hearing your kids bicker. You know, I walked into the uh, living room the other day and uh, I saw all of a sudden saw Wesley smashing with both fists some creation that my daughter had made. And she went, no. And then she smashed some creation he had made. And he went, no. It is so disheartening when kids are fighting with each other and bickering. It's also really disheartening for kids when the parents are constantly bickering. How do you think it makes God feel when he sees sisters and brothers and the Lord bickering amongst each other, slandering each other, grumbling about each other? You know, we're designed to grow brighter, not bigger. If we're all on this freedom journey, are we going to let this journey to freedom cause us to grow or to grumble? Now, later in verse 15, he mentions the exile. The reason we know that is because when he says you'll shine like stars, that he's directly grabbing a a quote and an image from the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is about someone, about Daniel and about the you know, children of Israel as they were in exile, as, as they had been ripped from their home and they're in, uh, in a culture that they don't want to be in. And, uh, and it's, these are really dark times. But it was in the exile that there was a great like, spiritual creativity and innovation that began, like this movement of faith in this dark world. And their faith was pushed into new realms that they had never seen before. Like a few examples would be up to that point in faith for the children of Israel, the temple had been the center 
of like life and faith. When they went into exile, into captivity, all of a sudden the synagogue became the center for faith. And they went from this gathered model to the scattered model. And so like all this creative uh, working out of faith and even like learning how to serve in a culture that is antithetical to yours and a religion that's antithetical to yours with values that you can't stand, Israel like learned anew how they could be agents of blessing and goodness within the culture. I mean, in fact, Jeremiah said this, you know, uh, seek the peace of the city to which I have called you to this culture that you don't like. And in the darkness where there's a lot of like corruption and their lives are twisted, it's very dark. You know, the book of Daniel really talks about shining like stars in that. And the people of Israel learned to do that in the middle of exile. So these two biblical images or stories Paul uses to remind them of who they are. Remember what we've learned from our our forebearers, how to walk with God and trust him, not test him, not grumble and complain all the time, but grow and to see his grace. And remember that, you know, when we're in times of exile, like in Philippi, where they're in the Roman Empire, and they might feel like they're just like in this, you know, dark world. It'd be so easy to conform to all the thinking and the being and the acting of that world, to conform their lives to that darkness. He says, remember what we learned in the exile, that we can have a faith that shines in the darkness. And Jesus gives us a faith that can shine where we can get brighter and not get bitter with the rest of the world and the rest of the culture. And we can do it in a way that loves the world and doesn't fight the world with you know, hate for hate and anger for anger, but love with hate, goodness with evil. I just think that's a beautiful thing. That's how we shine. And just to finish our teaching for today. I love, I just love that it says in 15, it moves from among these people, you will shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the word of life. Not a word of law, not a word of manipulation, not a word of like this mystical magic, religious pixie dust, the word of life. Um, The Bible isn't, you know, supposed to be a bunch of dogmas bunch of boundaries. It's God's word of life. Like a father's instruction of wisdom, the scriptures are life-giving if we listen to them in relationship with God the Father. You only turn the Bible into dogma and into judgment and condemnation of other people when you don't really have a relationship with God himself. Because the God up there who gave us his living word The Bible teaches us God is love, and God relates to the world in such a different way than maybe we might think. God's word is about life, about living, acting, finding our being in God's great universe. Maturity doesn't happen through legalism, through religious performance. Maturity doesn't happen through grumbling and complaining. doesn't happen if we just sit around acting childish like the rest of the people who are angry and running around angry, yelling at each other, throwing tantrums. Maturity happens through the living word and having a living life with God on the journey. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. What Paul is saying is not just that the Philippians are to be a sign of light and beauty in a world of darkness and ugliness. They are to be a sign of God's new life in a world that only knows the way of death. So this is why Paul finishes. This will allow me to say on the day of Christ, when Jesus comes back, that I haven't run this race for nothing or worked for nothing. But even if I'm poured out like a drink offering 
upon the altar of service for your faith. I'm glad, and I'm glad with all of you. You should be glad about this in the same way. Be glad with me. Have joy. I I want you to grow. I want you to mature. Shine like stars in this time. Thanks again for listening with us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Whitewater Church, reach out at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click contact in our show notes. And if you'd like to get involved in what Whitewater's doing to bless our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.